just uh, just one verse. So we're going to take a look at probably the most famous verse in the Bible, John chapter 3, verse 16. And yes, I do have it memorized, but I'm going to read it. Because it's one of those things, you get up in front of people, I've forgotten the Lord's Prayer when I've been up in front of people. So I'm going to read it. So this is uh, God's Word. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. It's God's Word for us this morning. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank You that uh, You have given us Your Word. Thank You that You've given us Jesus. Apart from Him, we would still be in the dark. We would be wondering what You are like, and we would come up with all kinds of scary ideas of, of who You are. We would be in the darkness of fear and doubt, in the darkness of our sin that keeps us in bondage to hatred of you and hatred of ourselves and hatred of one another. But thank you that you have given us the light, and the light shines in the face of Christ this morning. And so I pray that we would see him, and in seeing him, what would happen would be just what Paul said, that, uh, that when we look upon the face of Christ, we would become like him. And so that's our prayer this morning, that we would see Jesus and that somehow, uh, mysteriously, as we look upon him, we would become like him. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. All right, so what is God like? That's what we're going to think about this morning. Everybody's got uh, their opinion. You even uh, get it sometimes when you don't want to get it. Friday morning, this I get all my Friday mornings mixed up because every Friday morning, without fail, I go to Daylight Donuts. Unfortunately, it used to be Delta Cream, but now it's Daylight Donuts, which is okay. It's just not, it's just not the same, and I'm not bitter about that, really. <laughs> but I go to, I go to the donut shop, try to get there early before the rush, and I get my kids donuts. I'm just standing in line, kind of half asleep, but. I noticed there on the counter, there are all these tracks. You don't know what a track is, T-R-A-C-T, I think is how you spell that. A tract, track, maybe the T is silent. Anyway, so there's a track, and I, I, you know, I shouldn't have done it, but I pick up the track. And I pick it up, and it's, because I, I know which track I think it is. Now, I'm not saying all tracks are bad, but most of them are. Just leave them alone. But I picked this one up, and I flipped to the back just to see if it was, Whose I thought it was, and, and it was. It was a chip track. And if you don't know what that is, then praise God that you have never seen one. Uh, a chip track is by J.T. Chick, and he, he did all these tracks. And on the track, it's supposed to be the good news, but it's actually, if you flip and you, it shows you a picture of God, and it's just this huge giant sitting on a throne with no face. So I'm like, wow. Man, talk about scarring your children. Like, hey, kids, look. Here's God, this faceless white giant that you're just like, that's disturbing. So according to uh, J.T. Chick, that is who God is. And I was just assaulted trying to get donuts, just enjoy the Friday morning by this chick track. Uh, you probably have been as well. If you just get on the Internet, there's all these ideas of what God is like. Maybe some of you, maybe the reason you're at a church plant, it's because you started out at a church and you just got really burned by a church. A church 
started talking to you about grace, and then once you got in, they flipped those tables around on you and said, now, now that we kind of got you in, this is what God is really like. And you ended up believing God's this faceless giant. He's this, this judge. And if you think about it, you know, you may say, well, well, I know what God's like. God is the God of the Bible, which that's, that's good. That's a good step in the right direction. Good reformation spirituality there. But if you say, I believe in the God of the Bible, I would say, well, which God of the Bible? Because I've been in a lot of different churches growing up. And, you know, if you want the God of peace, you can find him in the Bible. If you want the God of war, you can find him in the Bible. If you want the God of anger and disappointment and judgment, he's there. If you, I mean, you could just go through the list. A compassionate God, a vindictive God. You can take all of that from the Bible, put it together, and, and you come up with this picture of what God is like. And so what I want to do for you this morning is, is hopefully give you a filter. That every time you think about God, every time you pray, every time you hear a sermon, every time you sing a song, every time you're just kind of lost in your thoughts about God, you would run it through this filter and say, no, this is what the true God is like. So the first thing is this, when you, when you read God so loved the world, who, is, who are we talking about? So if you're taking notes, that's, that's the first point. Who's God? God. The, in the text there, it's Theos. It's talking about God the Father, right? In Scripture, we know both from Scripture and from what the early church did for us, thankfully, through these creeds that we have and confessions, we know that God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this Word right here is talking about God the Father. And the amazing thing in John, if you go back to John chapter 1, is John tells us that, that Jesus perfectly reveals who God is. In John 1.18, it says he's, he perfectly reveals him. And so when you think about God, this is where you can get into trouble. If you think about God, who God is, apart from Christ, apart from Jesus, you're going down a dangerous road. Think about this. Some of you may have read some old theology. Maybe not. Maybe you have. Some of it's good. Some of it's not. Jonathan Edwards. Anybody know that name? I heard him. You probably have. Even when Julie, my wife, taught at Horn Lake Middle School, I taught at Coldwater High School. I uh, was the baseball coach there. It was another life ago. But I remember I was the literature teacher, which was hilarious. We didn't do much learning. There's a problem with our schools. People like me. I was a baseball coach. And they wanted me to teach six periods a day. And I didn't. So anyway, it's another sermon. So I was supposed to be teaching literature, and I was looking through a book. And, and I did notice that they had one of Jonathan Edwards, not one of, his most famous sermon uh, in the liter- literature book, you know, just normal public school. Which, if you look, I don't know, that's been 12 years ago, but I'm sure that it's still in there. It's used as literature in, in high school. The unfortunate thing about that is uh, that's one of John, in my opinion, now it's being recorded, whatever. I'm a guest. I can say what I want. Jonathan Edwards, uh, he was an incredible theologian. But that sermon, if if you don't know anything about him, uh, never read a biography or anything, he was mad at his congregation when he wrote that sermon. Like Preachers do get mad at their congregation. That, That happens. You may not believe that. They do. He was mad at his congregation, so he wrote this sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. How about that for a title? Like, you walk in Sunday morning, and you're like, all right, pastor is probably having a bad day, bad week. Um, 
in my opinion, Jonathan Edwards began to think about God apart from Christ. And if you read his writings, he sometimes he is so Christ-centered, and when he is, it is so incredible. But he began to, like I think a lot of people do, like I have done, you begin to think about God. And, and instead of running that through the filter of Jesus, you just have these thoughts about God. And, and what happened is he was able to come up with this, and this became his most famous sermon, unfortunately. That so many people, especially in the West and in America, that this is their image of God. Their view of who God is is an angry God, a disappointed God. And, and what I would say to you this morning is, run that through this filter. You know, think about a filter, like a Brita water filter. You know, allegedly it catches all the bad stuff. I, I don't know. I'm not into that. I just drink the water. But it's supposed to catch like the bad stuff. Well, think about Jesus as a filter. When you, will that go through the filter? Think about sinners in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When they come into the hands of God, and they, they really do, into the hands of God, he puts his arms around them. He invites them to sit at his table. When, when the hands of God in the Gospels reach out to sinners, what, is, what does it look like? Are they angry? Are they disappointed? Are they frustrated? Why can't you just get it right? No. That's, that's exactly the opposite. They actually show of a God who is so loving, a God who is so kind to sinners that the, the name that he got was friend of sinners. That, that's, that's how he was known. I would say two things about that. Number one, what, do you think about God apart from Christ? And, and I would say you do, and I do. It's something we have to daily repent of. Sometimes hourly repent of. When I think of God and I don't think of him as he is portrayed in the Gospels through the word of God, which is Jesus. He is the one who reveals what God is like. So we need to repent of how we think about God. Number two, think about our churches. Is this church, will this church be known in this community as a friend of sinners? That to me is the question of a church plant, of a ministry, of RUF. Do students at Delta State, when they think of RUF, do they think of us as friends of sinners? Do they know, I can be currently a mess and come and worship on Sunday morning? Can I just walk in as I am and be there and know that I'm not going to get the angry God sermon or the angry God people? I'm going to get the people that, that welcome sinners, that really believe that, and I'm not inviting people to a temple I'm inviting people to a table. You see, that, that's one of the huge things that happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you were invited. Actually, you weren't invited. You're all Gentiles, pretty sure. Uh, you weren't invited to the temple. In the New Testament, Jesus changes it from the temple to the table. And he says, everybody's invited. You can come and sit with God at the table. That, that is really our message. And there's such a huge difference between temple and table. Whole nother sermon. All right, second thing. Follow the text. God so loves the world. All right, look at Ephesians chapter one. You have a fun, or you can just listen to it, like the good old days. Uh, Ephesians chapter one, verses four and five. Listen to what it says. And before before I read that, let me just have this in your mind. 
when did God start loving you? When did God start loving this church? This body of people right here. When did God start loving us? Ephesians 1, verse 4. It says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Listen to this. This is the NLP translation. I like it. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. You know, so in the text where it says God so loves the world. In the Greek text, that's the first word in in the sentence. We didn't just throw that in there. You know, that wasn't a translation for like, God, let's, let's throw in he so loves the world. That sounds nice. The Holy Spirit wanted that word in there. He so loves the world. Now, when, when was the last time you felt like that? I mean, honestly. That God so loved you. I mean, so. Not, like, keep that word in there. He so loves the world. You know, do you ever feel like that? I was listening, I listen to a lot of podcasts, that's kind of what I do, and I was listening to the Modern Love podcast, and I heard that one? Probably not. Anyway, I was listening to it, and there was this story about a couple who adopted, uh, adopted a family from China. And so, if you know anything about that, I mean, it's a process, and it's expensive. And part of this process, the, the couple was going to China to get, uh, Natalie, their, their daughter filled out all the paperwork, went through all the rigmarole, and they they got there. And when they got their daughter, they were loving on her, and they, you know, after a while, they changed her diaper. And one one thing they noticed was a big scar, like a a really big scar on her back. And they called the doctor in, and they said, no, what is this? What's going on here? Doctor looked at it, was concerned, said, we need to go to the hospital. So they all get in the cars. Cabs, they go to the hospital. And at the hospital, it's just bad news. A surgeon comes in and says, what, what had happened was she had been operated on at some, you know, probably really maybe two months or something. They had removed a tumor and they had just done a hack job. Terrible job. And they said that, uh, she had a form of spina bifida and a cyst, uh, on her spine. And they said that what this meant is that she was going to be paralyzed. And this meant that she would have no control over her bladder, her bowels. And this family, that what, what makes it, I mean, it's just sad in and of itself, but this family, they said, on the, on the paperwork, you can request a special needs child. Like, if you can handle that, or you're saying, we want this, like, we believe this is our calling, we want a special needs child. And this family was not that family. They said, we... We're not that family. We put on the paperwork. We want a healthy child. Like we, we can't do this. We can't give our lives completely to this, to this child for the rest of its life. We, we, we needed a healthy child. And so they had a choice before. The, the director of this do- adoption agency came to them and said, hey, we can, we can make this right. Like we can give you a healthy baby. Let me read what she said. She said, I knew this was my test, my life's worth distilled into a moment. I was shaking my head no before they finished explaining. We didn't want another baby, I told them. We wanted our baby. The one sleeping right over there. She's our daughter, I said. We love her. It's a beautiful story of of love. 
It's really what that podcast is about, is, is stories of love. And, and this is a story of just a nor- like just normal people who, if you read it, like they're just very human. Like when they're not like people who like they don't pray, like they're like cussing and angry, and they're just human. But they they realize like to love means that we have chosen a daughter, and this is our daughter, and we've just found out that she is really broken. And now that we know that, we're still going to love her. So this is that passage I read out of Ephesians that says, "When did God start loving you?" It says, "Before the foundation of the world." You know, but however, I mean, that's a long time. Before there was ever this earth, God started loving you. And look, Presbyterians, we, we like to argue about this doctrine. We're like, we're predestination. Or, you know, we, we argue about a doctrine that is the most beautiful doctrine in the Bible. Because, because listen to what it, this is all it is. It means this, that, that before God started loving you, he knew you. You know, this family, they had no idea how broken their child was. They had no idea that this was a special needs child and that the future meant wheelchair ramps and colostomy bags and just constant care. They had no idea. And they said, hey, we'll do it. We will love this child. Look, what this passage in Ephesians means, it means that God knows how broken you are. Like, he knows. And I, I think that's my biggest fear is that one day, like, I'm going to do something just so messed up that God's going to be like, no, nah, no, nah, like, I can't handle that. Like, I, I can't handle that kind of mess. Like, I can handle some big stuff. I can handle, you know, I can't handle that. And God is looking at us that, all the time saying, I know. Like, I know your life. I know the beginning from the end. I know everything in between, and nothing surprises me. And I've chosen to adopt you into my family Full well knowing your brokenness. You know, I, I, I think about this. Like, Not only do I deal personally with addiction all the time because of my family history, not, cause of just, not just because of bad decisions I made, but because like, I came with it. It's part of my DNA. And because of that, like, I, I, I talk to people who are addicted all the time. And I still haven't met somebody yet who wanted that. You know, somebody who's like, man, I just want to be an addict. It's awesome. It's really helped my life. Like, never. Not one yet. But what I've noticed among addicts is they're just, they hate themselves. They're just convinced that, like, nobody, because they're so broken, we're just like, man, nobody, I don't like myself. And nobody else could really like me because I'm just so broken. And, and that's why I think this is one of the most important doctrines in Scripture. I refuse to argue about it. I, I, if somebody, if I see somebody even kind of look smart and they want to like, t- I just run away from them. I don't want to argue about this. It's the most beautiful thing in Scripture that God looks at us and says, "Hey, I loved you before you ever thought about me. I loved you before you ever even thought about doing twelve steps or going to a recovery group or being honest and confessing your sins at church. Like, I loved you way before that. And when people start to get that, it just, it just frees you." And it calms you down. And it, you're not so anxious. And you don't hate yourself so bad. And you begin to say, hey, maybe this is true. Maybe this is real. That like this gray stuff, that this doesn't depend on me, that God loved me, so loved us, that he would send his only son. So that's the last thing. He sent his son. 
the plan was already there. Right? The plan was there front. So it wasn't like this couple who got to China and they had to come up with a plan. What are we going to do? God knew the brokenness. And, and because he knew the brokenness, he said, hey, I'm going to send my son. I'm not going to throw down some scripture and be like, hey, y'all probably ought to obey this and your life will work out good. He, he didn't do that. He said, I'm going to send my son into the brokenness. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to do something. And we've seen this lately. And this, is, this is what is going on in our world. What's going on in our world is you hurt me and I'm going to hurt you worse. You hurt me. I mean, we do it in our marriages. We do it in our families. We do it on a micro and a macro scale. You hurt me. I'm going to hurt you. And Jesus says, God says, I'm going to send my son into the world. And, and what you're going to do to him is going to be the worst. Like, I'm going to let humanity be their absolute worst. They're going to kill God. And instead of God doing what the gods do in every other religion, coming up and just like throwing down hell on the world and just punishing everybody, the, the indisputable center of Christianity is the cross. It is the symbol of divine love. It is the place where we see the heart of God the most clearly. And so what you see in the cross is you see us at our absolute worst and God at his absolute best. That where we do the worst we can possibly do, what, how does God respond to it? He forgives. He absorbs it. He doesn't turn around in wrath. He doesn't come back and make us pay. He absorbs it into himself and says, Father, forgive them. He takes it down into hell. And he leaves it there. And he's resurrected on the third day. The father accepts the sacrifice. And the first word of the new world is peace. That's what Jesus does. Jesus enters into our brokenness. He takes it upon himself. He bears it away from us. And then he's resurrected to a new life and a new world order. And I want to finish with that. By saying, look, Jesus, this morning, his mission continues. His mission to bring his kingdom to bear upon this earth. And he's doing it through us. And how do we do that as the church? Is We have to give this world an alternative. And we have it. And the alternative is this, that we are a light. A light in the darkness. People who say, we can actually, like, we know about this forgiveness thing. We know what it looks like for people in a community who, even when you've been harmed, to turn another cheek. To be willing to absorb other people's hate and not turn it back around on them. But to actually bear it. And to do it with joy because we're following Christ. And so I pray uh, as we end and you think about these things today. Uh, you would think about this, First uh, John 4.20. It says, Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. Look, as you begin to think about God correctly, as you begin to understand how much God loves you, all God is saying is, I, I want you to extend that out to others. But that's what it looks like. To know me, God says, is to love others. And so you have a perfect opportunity here. What a great opportunity. A multi-ethnic church plant 
to show the world, to be the light of the world, to show them an alternative way that people who at one time hated each other are now brothers and sisters in Christ and are the light of the world. Let's pray together. Our Father, uh, would you help us as communities uh, who are built around Christ to go out into the world being the very body of Christ. That you would teach us how to uh, take up the cross. There is a part of us that so badly wants to react and hate and anger and vengeance. And yet uh, you have given us a new nature that's like Christ, that would, uh, that would love even our enemy. And so I pray that we might have the spirit of Christ that would say, be able to say, uh, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And really believe that. Uh, there are so many hurting people in this community and, and in this room, and we're honest, we're all hurt. I pray that by your love you would heal us, especially through the knowledge of your love that you've loved us from before the foundation of the world. I pray that that, uh, even this morning, would be a cool drink to someone's soul, that they might find rest. And we ask